Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. ...to come to church because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series today that I'm so excited about called Better together, all right? And I'm really pumped up about it, but I got to give you a few rules of engagement about this sermon series and uh, what you can kind of expect. So um, I, I just remember um, a while back uh, when we first started this church, and uh, we're a church just about 18 months old, uh, but my family and I moved here um, in the middle of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, November of 2020. Uh, God called us. We handed off the church. We started in Fairfax to amazingly faithful leaders, um, and uh, they sent us out uh, uh, to Fredericksburg. So we moved the uh, 50 minutes south to, to come here and to start a church. But it was interesting because it was in the middle of a pandemic. So everything that I knew the first time we had planted a church didn't matter. Like, it's amazing to me, the people that go, oh, I bet planting a church this time's a lot better because you knew what you were doing. And I was like, yeah, of course, I love planting churches in the middle of pandemics. Like, yeah, I do that all the time. I mean, I, it's like nobody, nobody, none of us knew what we were doing. And uh, we were planting a church during a time where it was like, don't go to church. Like, like it was during a time where you were hearing a lot of voices saying, don't go to church. Don't do this. Be careful and things like that. And so let me just say, I was, I was in the camp of let's, let's be careful. Let's take care of each other. Right. Um, But God had told us, man, um, we're going to need, when we start to come out of this pandemic, we're going to need more churches. Um, and maybe that's because some churches who, um, you know, maybe didn't make it during the pandemic. Maybe that's also just because there are so many more people now and people in desperate need of the gospel now. And, uh, and so we just felt like God saying, no, uh, I don't want you to wait. And I just remember holding Evie. Uh, Evie's my youngest, but she was... I don't know, maybe about nine months old at the time, maybe six months. I was just holding her. I was rocking her, trying to get her back to sleep. It was about two o'clock in the morning. And I said, Lord, um, I, I hear you that you want us to plant a church, but um, not now, okay? So like, I need, you, I need you to know that I hear you and we're going to, okay? Like our church, Impact in, Fredericks, in uh, Fairfax, we're going to plant a new church, but we're just not going to do it right now. Um, and I started explaining to him about what was happening down here, about how there was a pandemic going on and wasn't sure if he was caught up. And, you know, I was just kind of letting him know, like, God, actually, this is the, I'm being sarcastic, obviously, but this is like, the guy, this is the worst time ever um, to start a church. And it was like clear as day. He said, Brandon, the time is now to start a church. And I was like, okay, but no one's, no one's going to do it. Like, this is crazy. And so I told Ellen, and I was like, hey, babe, I think now is the time to plant a church. She was like, okay. And I, I go off, and I go meet with our leaders. I come back home. There's boxes everywhere. I'm like, slow down, woman. Like, what is happening here, you know? And so we got a lot going on. But I remember when we finally moved to Fredericksburg, the first time we ever met as a church. And I need you to hear me say this. We did not become a church when we started meeting on Sunday mornings, all right? The Sunday morning, which, what you're at right now, this was the last thing that we added to our church, 
All right. Our, we were a church when we started meeting in a living room. All right. In the middle of COVID in a house that I didn't even know where all the rooms were in the house. All right. So we had just moved to Fredericksburg. Stuff was still in boxes. We unpacked enough so that one room could fit everyone, you know, and it was during um, the, the height of the pandemic. So we we're being super careful and cautious. So it was like, hey, you know, I know it's January and it's rainy and snowy. We can meet outside if you want. We're going to wear masks. And, and so for the first like six months, of our church meeting together, we all wore name tags. And, uh, and maybe that's because we just wanted to, you know, see each other's names. But let me just tell you the real reason I wanted us to wear name tags. I didn't know who half the people's names were that were coming. Like there were people showing up and they were, we were all wearing masks. So they're coming in. I'm like, hi, you know, and if it wasn't for their name tag, I'd be like, who are you? Like what, you know, who, who are you? Who am I? What are we doing here? And uh, it was just kind of this crazy, crazy time. Um, nobody knew each other. And within two weeks, we uh, outgrew the COVID comfort numbers for the living room. And so we moved out into this country church in Spotsylvania, who's one of our partners. They opened up their fellowship hall. They said, yeah, we're not meeting right now. Uh, so you guys are welcome to use our fellowship hall. So we started doing that. We began growing spiritually and we began growing numerically. But here's the biggest thing. We began growing relationally. And, uh, and what's crazy is that that was the number one thing that I heard from people is they would say, Brandon, I'm so thankful for this because for a year, we have been so isolated and starved for relationship. And some, even beyond just during COVID. For some, let's be honest, we live in a transient area, right? There's people who've moved here because uh, they got their military orders to move here. They moved here for a contracting job, or they moved here because they couldn't afford to live 50 miles up the road. So they're here, and there's, there were just a lot of people that moved into this area, but they didn't find community. Like they just moved here and they felt really alone. Even a family of four or five would feel really alone, much less like someone, say, who just graduated college who moved here by themselves. Like this was just kind of a lonely place anyway, but you mix a pandemic in and it was just a really lonely place. And, uh, and so what happened was, man, we, just, we saw people who were even moving to Fredericksburg just to be part of this church, like just to be a part of the relational aspect. And um, and so what I, the reason I share all that with you is because I want you to know that this church was really unbeknownst to us. We didn't write a playbook about this. Um, I Googled it. There were no books on how to plant a church in the middle of an international pandemic. Like those books didn't exist. Like we, you know, that like we didn't do this on purpose. But I just want you to know that if you ever come to Impact and you're like, man, I actually really feel like there's this relational vibe here. I really feel like people care. I can tell you it's because it's legit. I can tell you it's because you have a bunch of other people who also felt lonely, who also felt isolated, and they found the Spirit of God when we joined together. And there is power, listen to me, there is power when the church is together. And I believe with all of my heart, it is because Jesus knew that we are better together. And so here's what we're doing. We're going to take this series over the next few weeks and talk about biblical relationships. But I want to tell you a couple of things of what this is not. 
All right, this is not a uh, this is not a dating scene. All right, I'm not a dating doctor. You are not going to get dating advice from me. Um, only you have to buy me coffee to get my dating advice. Okay, that's that's the only way this works. Nothing for free up here on the stage. All right, so um, this is not like a, a dating service. Uh, this and let me tell you what else this is not. This is not a be- just about romantic relationships. Because let me tell you something, we have people in our church who are not in romantic relationships. People who are, um, have been divorced, people who um, have lost a loved one, people who are single. Like We are a church made up of many different types of people. And so we, we may talk about those things from time to time, but that's not all this series is. So I don't want you to, to go home and think, all right, well, I'll check something else out for a few weeks because, uh, to be honest with you, I don't want to sit up and talk about you know, rom- rom- romance for three or four weeks. And totally get that. I don't want to do that either, so we're not going to. All right? Um, so we're going to talk about a few things. Like What we're going to do, though, is talk about what does it look like to have a biblical view of any type of relationship? What's it look like to have a biblical view of a marriage relationship? And that'll be really good, like not just for um, people who are married. Let me tell you something. It's a lot better to learn what a biblical marriage looks like actually before you get married. All right. So, I mean, now it's not impossible to learn on the fly um, better late than never always. But um, just know that when we do talk about that, it is not uh, it's not just for people who are married. We're going to talk about a biblical view of singleness. Like, what does it look like? And married people go, oh, well, Brandon, I don't plan on being single. And I would say, praise God. Uh, we don't want you to do that. All right. Like, uh, don't want you to plan on being single. But uh, but listen, let me tell you, you need to know those of you who are married need to know how to biblically interact with our brothers and sisters who are not married um, because it like like for so long I think the church has made this nuclear family of a husband a wife two kids and a dog the idol of the American church and that if you're not that then you don't fit in and programs are not for you and, and instead we might start a program just for you but it's going to be in the basement where no one can find you like like for so long that's kind of been the mentality and I want you to know we are all the family of God here today um, we it is not you do not have to be married you do not have to have kids you do not have to be single you do not have to be a young adult or an older adult older dirt oh my gosh <laughs> Oh, that's me today. That's me. Totally me today. Um, anyway, we'll edit that out, right, in the podcast. He's not in here, but we'll do that. Okay. Um, so my point is, here's what I want. I want us to come with a blank slate today and say, Lord, we just want to learn biblical relationships. What does the Bible say about relationships? And so uh, we're going to talk through some of that. Um, but today, what we're going to do is lay a foundation. Okay, Um, we're going to lay a foundation of relationships. And so if you're taking notes, you can just write this word down. And the biblical foundation for any type of relationship is love. Biblical foundation for any type of relationship is love. And you may say, Brandon, I get that. I get that. I know what the world needs now is. Sweet love. Okay, I didn't know if we were going to finish it. Yep, love, sweet love. So you're like, Brandon, I get that. We all need love. But here's the issue. Like, I don't know, do we really know what love is biblically? 
And so we're going to talk about that today because this is going to lay the foundation for every other biblical relationship. Your, your relationship as a father to a child, a mother to a child, your relationship as a friend to a friend, your relationship as a husband to a wife, your relationship with a co-worker to co-worker. Like, like this is the foundation for every relationship in our lives. And so we're going to not just jump in and start talking about all these types of relationships without first understanding the foundation of all relationships that start in the Bible. All right. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and get that out. Or if you want to use your phone or tablet and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's in the New Testament, so you might have to scroll down towards the bottom or flip towards the back. But we'll be in 1 Corinthians. Now, there are two of them, um, first and second, but we're in the first one. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And our goal today is just to read the whole chapter. And I'm going to stop a few times and make some notes. All right? So I'll read a few verses. I'll, we'll talk about it. I'll read a few more verses. We'll talk about it. That's how we'll roll today. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. Awesome. Let's get started. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's stop right there. Um, I want to just point a couple of things out to you because what Paul is doing is, is he's talking through um, the guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote this section in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll, I'll give you a little background here in a second, but I just want you to notice he starts off in chapter 12. He's talking about uh, spiritual gifts. Okay? So he's talking about things that the Holy Spirit has given to us um, to help edify the church and uh, to make an impact in the world. And that's what he does in chapter 12. But then he comes through and says, but even more important than your gift is your motive. Even more important than your talents is your motive. Even more important than your skills and your resume is your motive. And so Paul is coming back and he's saying, let's get this straight. And so I just, this is what stood out to me as I was preparing a couple of weeks ago. I was looking at verse uh, two and this one, I mean, I must have read this tons of times at weddings and preached through it many of times and taught through it. But this just jumped out and I really felt like it jumped out and like punched me in the face. And I was like, ease up, word of God. This is what it said. It said, um, he says, but I have not love, I am nothing. This is amazing, right? It means that um, I am nothing. And he doesn't say the things I'm doing are nothing. He says, I am nothing. And I want you to notice that like, this is actually a really personal statement. Because without love, listen, we are nothing. Not just the things we do. Not just the, the type of things that we have, 
not just the possessions that we own. Listen to me, what the Bible teaches us is that whatever we do, if we lack biblical, Christ-centered love, our identity is nothing. It is meaningless. Guys, that's a big wake-up call for, for me. Because what that means is I can literally like have the best of intentions and do something that I think I really knock out of the park. And the fact is, if my beginning motive was not to love other people, it's not just I accomplished nothing, but I was nothing. I brought nothing to the table. It's not like, well, at least they got a you know, a strong communicator or a man of God or a faithful preacher. No, 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 no. If my motive isn't love here today, you're getting nothing. Like nothing. That's amazing. But guys, it's not just for preachers. It's for all of us. Like everywhere we show up. Um, it's us as a church. If we're doing a bunch of stuff, and we get up every week and have go time and talk about, man, we're, we had a mission team and we passed out coffee and Wes said, you know, maybe up to 200 people. Try like almost 1,000 people like that we were inviting to church this week at 4.30 in the morning. And I'm not a morning person and I, they did not have enough shots of espresso that day. Like it, it was hard. But listen, if we do all of that and we're out trying to make an impact, but we're not actively loving others and love is not the first motivation in our heart, it's nothing. We are nothing. If you're trying to have relationships with people, you're trying to make your marriage work, you're trying to build friendships, you're trying to find community, you're trying to make things right with your coworker, you're getting counseling, you're working on communication skills, you're doing conflict resolution, you're, you're doing all of this stuff. But listen to me, Christ-centered love isn't present. That relationship will be nothing. And that's what Paul tells us. So we know this is a really big deal. So I love the fact that the Bible doesn't just leave it there. Because sometimes we come to church and we go, man, that stinks. That's tough. And we go, yeah, so a bunch of people go do better. I'll see you next week. You know, that's horrible. Like, we don't want to do that. Like, that stinks. Then the Bible doesn't do that to us. Guys, the Bible never tells us something really hard like that without telling us what we should do. And that's what I love about Jesus, is he's not a can't do, he's a should do. And that's what he tells us right here. So let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians 13, and let's uh, pick up in verse 4. And I'm going to read this, and you've probably heard this uh, passage a lot, but I'm going to read it kind of slow, and I want you to try to just, just let it sink into your heart a little bit. Okay? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they will cease. That means languages. As for knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. All God's people say amen. Amen. You may have noticed that a phrase that I'm trying really hard to use in this message is uh, Christ-centered love or biblical love. And that's on purpose because I believe that in any relationship, we can often be saying the same things and mean completely opposite things. Have you ever been there where, uh, you know, I'm sitting out, I'm talking to Ellen uh, after church, right? And she's like, uh, she's my introvert wife who uh, musters up, takes her a week to muster up to like do this thing on Sundays. And she kills it, man. She's awesome. She's out doing her thing and loving on people. Um, And then we get home and it's like, you know, I'm walking her to the couch, you know, it's like, uh, I'll see you in a couple hours, you know, I'm plugging her back into the wall. And, and it's just sometimes, you know, that's just how we, we got to do that for our introverted friends, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I just, I, oh, you're in the room. Okay, sorry. No, I totally missed that. All right, welcome back. Um, that changes this story. And, uh, and so, but no, I, so we have to do that sometimes, right? But I can look at her and go, babe, wasn't today awesome? And she's like, I think we may have different definitions of the word awesome, right? And, uh, and then the vice versa, right? Like she can maybe just sit back and have, you know, coffee with one person and it's really great. And me, I'm like just kind of bored, like, all right, are we done? You know, can we add it? Let's make this a party. Let's invite a few more people, you know? And, uh, and so Ellen will walk away from having coffee with one person and go, Brandon, wasn't that awesome? And I'm like, huh, what'd you say? Yeah, yeah, it's great, babe. Good for you. You know, and it's just, it's really, it can be really, sometimes we can use the same word, but we mean totally different things. You ever been there? Like you're saying something like in relationships, this happens a lot when we do marriage counseling where we'll say like, what do you want? Well, I just want, um, I just want honesty. Okay. Well, do you want honesty? Yes. Do you want honesty? Yes. The problem is not they want honesty, but they have different ideas of what honesty looks like. All right. And so that's why I'm using the phrase Christ centered love, because if I just use love and just say love, every single person in the church has a different definition of what love is based upon your own life experience. Okay. In fact, some of us are really uncomfortable. We're even saying the word love today because love is really hard for some people. Like, it's just really hard because it's hard for you to receive love. Sometimes it's hard for you to show love. And so I get that. So that's why we're trying really hard to use the phrase Christ-centered love. Because I believe that the Bible actually defines what love is. Um, So when we say love at church, you've heard it, right? I don't feel loved. Or it's such a loving church. And we use this word a lot, but the problem is that we say it like what we mean is this, man, that's such a loving church because they love the way I want them to. 
We say things like, I didn't really feel loved at that church because they did not love me the way I want to be loved. And so we all come at that. So that's not a knock on anybody. We all come at it from that perspective. But what we're going to do today is readjust our mindset to define and live by the definition of love according to the Bible, not according to our preferences. So Christ-centered love is love the way Christ shows, regardless of our preferences. Okay? So if you want a definition of Christ-centered love, it's this, and you can write this down. To be towards others the way God is towards us through Jesus Christ. That is Christ-centered love. To be towards others the way God is towards us through Jesus Christ. This is very different than they better speak my love language, right? This is very different than, well, I know that they're trying to love me, but they're not loving me the way I want to be loved. Now, don't get me wrong. Love languages are a good thing. You should learn them. That's a way to be selfless and put yourself aside and love someone, you know, unselfishly. But listen to me, the bottom line is, if we just try to love others the way God loves us through Jesus Christ, then man, we can't go wrong with that. Like that's a good kind of love. The problem is it's not always the love we prefer. And we'll talk about that in a sec. So this is actually exactly what's going on in Corinth. So uh, Corinthians, the book we're in in the Bible, is actually named after a city called Corinth, uh, which is in Greece, um, which if you want to go to Greece with us, uh, when we're going at some point this year, uh, we'll take you to Corinth and show you around. And, um, but that's what the city that this letter is written to. And here's something you need to know about Corinth. Corinth was a really messed up city. And uh, because it was a really messed up city, as people came to Christ, the church had really formerly messed up people, all right, who were still trying to not be messed up when they came to church. Um, So it's not like there were generations of Christians. Uh, the, The Christians that were there had been Christians for like a week, a day, a month, nobody more than six months or a year. Like, that's just kind of the, the way the church was. And, uh, and so I actually brought a picture from a time we went to Corinth. Um, if you can put that up for us. Oh, speak of love. Isn't that, isn't that the most precious thing ever? Wes and Brea. They're not sitting together at church, but they, in fact, he's not even here. Oh, wow. Okay, see you, Wes. Um, so uh, what, what I want you to notice is... Uh, this is a beautiful place. They're, they're, Wes and Britt are actually having lunch in ancient Corinth. So this is like the marketplace in the city of Corinth where Paul made his tents, where all the center of activity was, um, where the church met, where there's other temples. But here's the reason I chose this picture is because you see that big mountain in the background, that big hill? On top of that is the temple of Aphrodite. And she was the goddess of love. And so what would happen is um, it was a really dark thing. Like um, the temple of love uh, up on top of the hill at Corinth was not where you would get, like don't think Cupid and boxed chocolates and roses and flowers, okay? This temple of love was like, rated x like this is not like i'm not even going to take time and tell you all about it um but it was it was pretty messed up and that was the view that this city had of what love was that's it when they spoke love they heard orgies 
abuse, um, sex trafficking. Like these are the things that they heard um, when they thought of the word love. So you have to understand, like I can almost see Paul writing this, looking up at the temple, seeing all the people going up and down and all the rituals and all the messed up view of what love is, that it was just a power grab and abusive for the people. And Paul says, you know, actually, let me address for you what love is. And so isn't it amazing? I want you to just just take a look at that. Try to look at that picture and try to look up at that temple and imagine just the darkest, um, sinful idea of what love is. And then listen to what Paul says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. Do you see the massive contrast between Christ-centered love and love of their culture? Well, guys, it's the same way for us. We can't let our culture define what love is. We really can't even trust ourselves to define what love is because we'll always come at it from a selfish angle. But aren't you glad that God has defined it for us? He did not leave you in the dark and say, figure it out. He has defined it for us. Um, And so this is exactly what's going on. Um, So to know true love, the Bible says, is to know Jesus Christ. To know true love is to know Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we hear that Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so if we just look at Jesus' life and we look at who Jesus is, then we will know what love is. Because the Bible also says that God is love. And so if we want to know true love, then we have to know Jesus. Because here's the deal. There may be some people here today who you say, Brandon, listen, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian. I'm still checking out this whole Jesus thing and, uh, and whatnot. And hey, listen, I want to tell you, I'm so glad you're here. Like, I'm so pumped that you're here. And so, I, I, but here's what I want you to know. Because they may say, and Brandon, I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself a follower of Jesus or, or a Christian, but I'm loving. I know what love is. And I would say, according to your own standards, you are loving. In comparison to people you have seen who are unloving, you are considered loving. But I would tell you that those standards aren't what matters. What matters is God's standard. And according to God's standard, you cannot know or demonstrate true love without knowing Jesus Christ. Like if you are not a follower of Jesus, you might be a very nice person, but you are not a Christ-centered, loving person. Only Jesus changing our hearts can accomplish that type of love. So here's the way Christ-centered love works. It's kind of a two-pronged approach. Number one, we receive God's love. Number one, we receive God's love. This, it's, it starts there. 
So if you're like, Brandon, how, how can I get in on this Christ-centered love? Like, how can I get in on, I mean, that what you just read, Brandon, is beautiful. Love never ends. Who wrote that, man? Come on, that's good. I want in on that. And I would tell you, good, you should. You should want in on that. You should want in on a love that never ends. And the way that we get in on that type of love that never ends, the way we get in on that is to receive God's love first. Because listen, a lot of times we read that and we immediately want to make it about us. Aren't we really good at doing that with the Bible? Oh, because no doubt you've already been thinking, right? Oh, he's going to tell me I need to be more kind. Oh, he must have been watching my driving this week. Like, oh gosh, he's going to tell me not to be arrogant or whatever. And I am. That's later on in the, in the sermon. But for now, what I want you to know is that these are characteristics of who God is. God's love. I want you to listen. Let me reread that again. And I'm just going to put the word God in front of it. God's love is patient. God's love is kind. God's love does not envy. God's love does not boast. God's love is not arrogant. God's love is not rude. God's love does not insist on its own way. God's love is not irritable or resentful. God's love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. God's love rejoices with the truth. God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's love never ends. Don't you want that love? And so guys, the first goal for us is to receive that love. Like if you're already starting to think about how to show that love, you've, you've jump-started. The way you start is how to receive that love. And here's what I've learned. Most people don't have a problem being told they should show more love. Most people have a problem in being told they have to receive more love. Because that almost implies something is lacking in our life. Or for some of us, and I just want to get real for a second, for some of us, the last time you were shown love ended in abuse. They called it love, but it was abuse. And I want to tell you that that is not Christ-centered love. That is satanic-centered love. That is from hell. That is where abuse is from. It is not from the Bible. And so I understand that receiving God's love for some people may be really hard because you equate love with something really bad that happened in your life. And so I want you to hear me say that God's love is not abusive. God's love is good for you. It is all of these qualities that we read about in Scripture. And, and as much as it hurts and pains that even people, some in the name of God, that have shown abusive type love, man, I just want you to know they do not represent who our God is. That's not who he is. Our God is kind and patient and loving towards you, gentle with you, bearing with you, and never gives up on you. And I want you to hear that your first step today is not to muster up more love, but to actually receive more love from God. The second thing, the second way is that once you receive, then you reflect God's love. You receive God's love and then you reflect God's love. But you cannot reflect what, you don't, what you're not in front of. You cannot give what you don't have. 
And so there's no way for you to truly give this type of love without having first received that type of love from God. So I'm going to kind of just go through today. And all I want to do is just take some of those qualities of what love is, and I want to ask us this, the question, okay? And uh, so this is the part where we get to really think about, okay, that's who God's love is, but, but for those of us who have received God's love, who know God's love, then what implications does that have for the way we love other people? And so I'm just going to ask us a few questions. How do we know Christ-centered love? How do you know it? Like, is it one of those things you'll just feel it or know it when you see it? How do you know if the love you're showing is Christ-centered or if it's just your preference? And so the Bible answers the question for us. So if you're taking notes, just write down these questions. All right, number one, are we patient with others? Are we patient with others? This is not the time to nudge people, all right? <laughs> there it is. There it is. The question, you go, well, I don't know, Brandon. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I think we would all say we're not very patient people. It's kind of how we ended up in Northern Virginia. But like, we're not, we're just not a very patient people. But here's what it really means. The biblical definition of patience means to suffer for a long time, Okay. So, so when we talk about patience, we're not talking about just not exploding on the cashier because the line took a long time. What we're talking about is, are you willing to suffer with someone for as long as it takes? That is biblical patience. So the question I have to ask myself is, Brandon, do you give up on people too easily? You know, am I, am I, do I ever get to a point where I go, you know, I've done all that I can do and that's just it. I'm done, Right. Or do, I, do people look and go, man, you, you just never give up on people. <laughs> like you're just always, you always are just sitting there like, when are you going to get it that you cannot help them, right? I would much rather someone uh, do that, say that to me than to say, yeah, he just kind of flakes out, you know, when it gets inconvenient. Here's the second question. Are we kind to others? Some of you are like, man, I didn't know I was in kids' ministry today. But that's kind of, kind of what it feels like, right? For someone to look at you and go, are you being kind? <laughs> but isn't that what Paul's doing to the church at Corinth? But here's what that kindness stems from. Are you, that word kindness is actually an active word in the Greek. It means, um, are you actively working for the good of other people? Are you actively working for the good of other people. That is kindness. Number three, the question we have to answer is, are we envious of what others have? Are we envious of what others have? And again, most of us would say, I, I don't think so, um, but here's how you know. The way you know is, do you often compare yourself with others? You may say, no, I wouldn't use the word envy, but the fact is, if you're always comparing what you have with what someone else has, then you are actually not showing that person Christ-centered love, even though they may have no idea that you're even comparing yourself with them. It's actually, comparison is actually an unloving uh, thing to do. The next question is, do we boast about what we have? Do we boast about what we have? In other words, are we trying to make others envious of us? 
And you know what's weird? Is that um, we have to ask ourselves this question every time we click post. Like every time we click post, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why am I posting this? Because our motive could be, I just was bored. Post. Or it could be, I want other people to envy me the way I envy them. Post. That is a very unloving way to do things. Another question, are we ever arrogant before others? Are we ever arrogant before others? In other words, when you're talking to others, do you like to make yourself seem a lot better than you really are? And you may say, oh, Brandon, I wouldn't do that because we immediately think of going, hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, I, yeah, I had an awesome weekend. I'm like the best person ever. Like I, you know, yeah, I had a weekend and I did the weekend things and everything's great and I'm, I'm like totally awesome, you know? And, and we think when we hear like boasting, we go, Brandon, I don't do that, right? Um, when we talk about being arrogant, we go, Brandon, I don't do that. But the question is like the things we post, are we trying to make ourselves look better than we really are? In conversations that we have, by not disclosing information or by keeping things close or not being authentic, is the reason we're not authentic with others because we want people to think we are actually a lot better than we really are. Another question is, are we ever rude to others? I think most of us would go, no, I'm not a rude person. Brandon, in fact, you just spent time talking about what a loving church we are and what a friendly church we are. This would be in the realm of saying mean things just as a defense mechanism to protect ourselves. Most rude people don't know that they're rude because it has become such a natural defense mechanism to themselves, they don't even realize they're doing it. But it usually comes from a deep-rooted hurt or not wanting to get hurt by someone and so we throw up defense mechanisms and we we excuse it by saying that's my personality well that's who I am but I just want to pause here and say in the most Christ-centered loving way that I can that Jesus didn't make jerks and if Jesus is giving us his love and changing our hearts then that's not just the way we are Rudeness is not just our personality. Jesus will change that in our hearts. Um, another question to ask is, do we want things our own way? Do we want things our own way? And I think uh, this is something I struggle with a lot. And, uh, and I, I eventually I go, no, man, I'm cool, like whatever. But here's the thing, man. Sometimes on the inside, I think my way of doing something is really the only right way to do it. And other people can do it, but they just won't do it the right way, you know. And it's not that I think I can do it better. It's that there are some times that I have to check my spirit because I think that just because I do it a certain way, that's the only right way to do it. And so often this comes across if you feel like, man, every time I serve, I'm always rolling my eyes or I'm always going behind someone to fix something or I'm always getting home complaining about how someone else did something or I'm always talking about my boss and how they don't do things right and I know the right way to do it and they won't listen to me. All of these things are very unloving because it shows we want things our own way. Another question to ask is, are we irritable when things don't go our way? It's kind of one and the same, right? 
Some people say, no, I'm just a passionate person. But for some of us, that passion is really a temper. And the fact is, sometimes our temper shows when things don't go the way we scheduled them to go. When things don't go the way we had a plan, and they didn't go that way, and now all of a sudden we're irritable. And we say things like, I just need, I just need a minute. But have we ever equated that with actually I'm, I'm unloving? Um, do we keep any record of others' wrongs? That word record is actually, um, in the Greek, means a book of evil. <laughs> which is kind of weird because none of us, well, I, like, I like the phrase, don't, love doesn't keep a record of others' wrongs because it sounds better at a wedding than do, don't keep a book of evil, you know? But the fact is, like, when we do that and when we build up resentment towards others and we're really quick to throw things in people's faces about, well, last week you did this or last year you did this or you've done this before, um, what we're really doing is pulling out our book of evil and flipping through the pages, reminding them of all the wrong that they've done. But aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that to us? Aren't you glad that he permanently deletes our sin when we ask him? Um, another question is, do we find pleasure when others do wrong? The fact is, I think I'm pretty good at this one, you know? Because I, I can't remember a last time somebody did something wrong, and I was like, ha ha, yes, I love it. Do it again, you know. But the fact is, some of us do root for people to fail, don't we? Depending on who the president is, depending on who's in power, depending on a coworker we don't really get along with, maybe someone we're in a little competition with, maybe someone who is wronged us. So we need to be careful dismissing that one. Another question, do we experience only delight when others do right? So when other people are, are building up in the truth and doing good, do we see them as competition? Do we look at them and dismiss them and say, oh, they, they shouldn't be so bragging? Or do we rejoice that someone has gotten it right? Another question, do we tire of our support of others? This is where he talks about love bears all things. And that word bear is to carry the full weight of. And so the question is, like, are you supporting someone and supporting someone and finally get to a point where you go, you know what, they're just going to have to support themselves. I'm done. I'm not going to help them anymore. Now, there are instances that that might be a healthy thing. But listen, like in most cases, it, we are showing the most Christ-centered love when we never get tired of bearing other people's burdens. Isn't that what Christ did for us? Now, I know that we're not Christ, but maybe we got the power of Christ in us. And so when we feel like we are at the end of our rope, then we ask Jesus to give us more of his power and more of his strength. Not to do what only he can do, but to love the way that he would love. Another question, do we hold on to faith for others? Bears all things, but didn't it say it, love hopes all things? And guys, that's what this means. It means that you are hoping, you have faith for other people when they don't have it for themselves. And that is love. So do we hold on to faith for others? Do we lose hope for others? And the last question is, do we endure trials with others? You know the only way that you will continue to walk with people through their trials is if you truly love them. You cannot muster it up any other way. Because at some point, you are not doing it because it's convenient. 
You are not doing it because you think you'll get brownie points in heaven. You are not doing it for another jewel in your crown. You are only doing it because you genuinely love the other person. And that's when you know that you are operating in Christ-centered love. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.